In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, we'll study together chapter 5 from the letter of St. Paul to Ephesians. In chapter 4, St. Paul actually instructed us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. As he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he told us, you are called to be Christian, to be disciples of Christ. So you need to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In uh, in chapter 4, he described that we should walk in unity. All of us have one spirit, one mind, one soul. Also in purity. This in chapter uh, 4. In chapter 5, he will urge us to walk in love, in light, and wisdom. Love, light, and wisdom. And after this, as an application, he explained the responsibilities of wives, husbands, toward each other. And by the way, this is a Pauline letter that we read it in the crowning ceremony. Then he reflected on the great love of our Lord Jesus Christ toward us, the church, the bride of Christ. So let's start from verse 1. He told us, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Usually children are similar to their parents. They look like their parents. Even in their manners, even in their behavior, in their language, they look like parents. So in baptism, we became children of God. And we put on the new man. That's why we need to be imitators of God. To walk in the likeness of Christ. God became man and lived among us in order to leave us an example to follow his footsteps. That's why he told us, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. If you are the children of God, you need to be in his likeness. One of the greatest thing about God is his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's why in verse 2 he told us, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
So to be imitators of God, we need to love one another. And let us see what are the characteristics of the love of Christ. There are four main characteristics when we speak about the love of Christ. Number one, unconditional. As the Bible teaches us that God loved us while we are sinners. He did not put a condition first. If you are righteous, I will love you. No, God did not say this. His love is unconditional for us. Also, his love is sacrificial. He did not just say, I love you, and that's it. But he offered himself as a sacrifice. As St. Paul said, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice. St. John said, let us love not by words, but by actions and deeds. If you love, you need actually to offer yourself as a sacrifice for the beloved. The third characteristic of Christ's love is limitless. There is no limit for the love of God. Meaning, he included everybody. Included the Jews, the Gentiles, the rich, the poor, the black, the white. He included everybody. Nobody is excluded. Also, his love has no limit. His love has no limit. He is willing to give us everything and all things that are in our benefit. And finally, his love was not an emotion, but his love was willful. Willful means a decision, a choice that he made. This is the will of the Father and His the Son and the Holy Spirit. As when we worship, we say, we worship you, Christ our God, with your good Father and the Holy Spirit, for you have come and saved us. So this is according to His good pleasure. Many times we don't differentiate between the willful love and the emotional love. Willful love is a decision you make by your own mind to love this person. For example, when God told us, love your enemy, how can I develop love to my, develop emotions toward my enemy? It's difficult. But I can make a decision to love my enemy and express this in actions. As St. Paul said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. When God actually sees my faithfulness in expressing my love in action, then this love will be processed from my mind to my heart. So this intellectual love 
willful love which is a faculty of my intellect will be processed into my heart. So, St. Paul told us, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice, unconditional love, sacrificial love, limitless love, and willful love. And this sacrifice he offered to God. When you love unconditionally, sacrificially, willfully, and limitlessly, you are offering this sacrifice to God. And God will accept it from you as a sweet-smelling aroma. Sweet-smelling aroma. So, sweet-smelling aroma means an offering grateful to God and acceptable to Him. Grateful in gratitude. God loved us that much. So, in gratitude to His love toward me, I love others. And when I love others in gratitude to His love, this will be acceptable to God. So, God will smell this love as a sweet aroma. You know, when you put incense on the charcoal and then you smell the incense, this sacrifice that the incense melt completely for us to enjoy this smell, in the same way, when I offer myself as a sacrifice, God will smell this sacrifice as sweet aroma. Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You are children of God. And now God is holy. If you are his children, you need to be holy, saints. That's why these things should not even be named among you. And he made a list. Fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, which is idolatry, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. All these things are against love. If you think about each of these sins are against love. Fornication is against love. Uncleanness is against love. Covetousness is against love. Then the rest of the list in verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. So, we as Christians, these things should be named among us. But it befits us as Christians and as saints to give thanks always. Thanks 
is expression of love. When we love God, then we give him thanks. If you love another person, you are grateful to him. So, thanksgiving is the fruit of love and also is the expression of love. Expression of love. What are other reasons that these sins should not be named among us? The first reason, he said, this list of sins should not be named because you are saints, you are children of God. The second reason, he said, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is idolater, a worshiper of idols, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So another reason for staying away from all these sins, that inheritance of the kingdom of God is only for the children. If I commit one of these sins without repentance, then I'm not his son, I'm not his daughter, which means I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. Covetousness in particular is like worshipping of idols. It is love of money. Worshipping of money. So instead of worshipping Christ, and I'm worshipping money. And the third reason, so why this Sins should not be named among us. Number one, we are saints, children of God. Number two, for the inheritance of the kingdom of God and of Christ. If I commit any of these sins without repentance, I will not inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. Third reason in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Many people will try to deceive us. Satan, actually, his tool is deception. Satan will make you believe a lie. Nothing wrong with uh, coarse jesting. Nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with uh, uncleanness. Uh, All people in the world are doing it. So nothing wrong with this. That's why St. Paul said, the tool of Satan in tempting us is deception. But if you are deceived, and if you are going to believe Satan and fall on one of these sins, the wrath of God will come upon you. Why? Because not you are not a children, a child of God, but a child of disobedience. As he said, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And instead of obeying God, you are obeying Satan. So the wrath of God will come upon this person. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So St. Paul gave us three reasons. We should not walk 
in these sins which are against love. Number one, we are sins. Number two, if we want to inherit the kingdom of God, we should stay away from these sins. Number three, the wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. Then St. Paul will speak about walking in light. As I told you, he will tell us walking in love, walking in light, walking in wisdom. Now he will speak about walk in the light. Verse 8. For you were once darkness before believing in Christ, before your repentance, you were darkness. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Before we were baptized, before repentance, we are darkness. But now, after we are baptized, after we repent, we become children of God. We put on the new man. So you are light in the Lord. What does it mean in the Lord? You know, the moon in itself is dark. But the moon reflects the light of the sun to the earth. That's why we see the moon is full of light. This light is not uh, intrinsic in the moon. No, it is reflection. And when the earth comes between the sun and the moon, the moon becomes dark. In the same way, when God, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he is the son, son of righteousness. When he told us, you are the light of the world, light in the Lord, because we reflect his light on the people in the world, like the moon. But if the love of the world, like the earth, comes between me and God, I will lose my light. I will become darkness. Like when the earth comes between the sun and the moon, the moon becomes dark. So St. Paul reminding us, you are children of God. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There are two lists for the fruit of the Spirit. One list in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, that's nine. But here, this list is only three. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. When we walk in the light, then how this light is expressed? When we are filled with the Spirit, then it will be expressed in three things. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Goodness, it is within me. Seeking to do what is good. Internally, I am a good person. Because I bear the fruit of the Spirit. I am filled with the Spirit. This goodness will be expressed outwardly in righteousness. Righteous means to do what is right. 
If I'm doing what's right, but from inside I'm not good, that's hypocrisy. That's why righteousness should be the expression of the goodness inside me. But I will not have goodness or righteousness if I'm away from the truth. That's why number three, seeking and exposing and abiding in the truth. Because God is the truth. I am the truth. Jesus said so. So when I abide in the truth, I become good internally and outwardly I will do what is actually good for others. Uh, what's right, what's right, righteousness. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. As a light of the world, we should find out what's acceptable to the Lord. Before making any decision, before making any choice, before any behavior, I will ask myself, is this acceptable to God or not? If it is not, I will stay away from it. What else? As a light to the world. Number two, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't hang around ungodly people. Don't hang around the people who walk in darkness. And that's why they are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Rather, expose them. So as a light of the world, I will find out what's acceptable to the Lord, number one. Number two, have no fellowship with works of darkness. Number three, rather expose them, rebuke the darkness, that the true character may be brought to light. When we expose the darkness, when we bring the darkness into the light, the true character will appear. For example, if your clothes are dirty, you will never be able to see it in darkness. But when you bring it to the light, you can see the dirtiness of, your, of the clothes. In the same way, these unfruitful works of darkness, as long as they are in the dark, you cannot see them. But when you expose them to the light of Christ, will be exposed and people will stay away from them. Words of darkness are unfruitful, done in secret, and shameful to even mention them. Not only doing them, but shameful of mentioning them. As St. Paul said in verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. When a person does something wrong, he's ashamed to speak about it. So, how do you know whether this work is work of darkness or of light? Three things. Number one, it is done in secret. Number two, 
it is unfruitful, there is no goodness, no righteousness, no truth in them. And number three, shameful, even to mention them, not only doing them. But as light of the world, we should find out what's acceptable to the Lord, have no fellowship with the works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 13, But all things that are exposed to the light of Christ are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. As I told you, if there is clothes in darkness, you cannot tell whether it's dirty or clean. But once you put them in the dark, in the light, you can see it. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says, Light has come into the world. Light is Christ. But men loved the darkness instead of light. They stayed away from Christ. They did not believe in him. Because their deeds were evil, they know if they become close to Christ, they will be exposed. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to, into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. For fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's why St. Paul took these verses from John chapter 3. Of course, the, the gospel was written after the letter of St. Paul, but from the oral tradition, what Jesus said. That's why he said, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he, God, says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. What does this mean? This verse actually was mentioned in Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, and 26, verse 19. God is calling those who sleep. Who are those who are sleeping? The non-believers and the non-repentant. They are sleeping. Non-repentant and non-believers. He is calling them to awake, to believe, and to repent. And arise from the dead, from the, their sins, and he will give them light. The light is the new man that we put on in baptism and restored in repentance. So awake means believe and repent. You who sleep, you are still in sin, or you do not believe. Arise from the dead when you repent. Like the prodigal son, he was dead, but now he's alive. That resurrection. And Christ will give you light. Now you are walking in the light. Not only that, but you will become light to the world. Now St. Paul will speak about walking in wisdom. He spoke about walking in love, walking in light, 
and now walking in wisdom. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. As the children of God, we need to walk also wisely. Wisely, number one, to walk circumspectly. Meaning what? With utmost accuracy and diligence. With zeal. Uh, circumspectly means you don't let go even of small things. A small hole in a ship can drown the whole ship. So you need actually to examine yourself carefully. Don't let go of small things. Don't let little foxes enter your garden. The foxes, little foxes, as we read in the book of songs, will actually destroy and ruin your garden. That's number one, walking uh, circumspectly. Number two, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you are wise, you will redeem the time. Redeem the time means how to save the time. When we say God redeemed us, he mean, we mean God saved us. He purchased us with his blood. So redeeming the time, how you purchase every possible moment out of the hands of sin and Satan. Any moment you wasted in sin or obeying Satan, that's unredeemed time. Any moment you purchased this moment and live it with God, it's a redeemed time. A wise person will redeem his time. He will not waste his life because days are evil. Days are evil means you do not know what will happen to you next moment. You have no control over the next moment. We hear every now and then some people dies suddenly. You don't know when the voice will come to you, give an account of your stewardship. That's why you need to redeem the time. Number three, so number one, walk circumspectly. Number two, redeem the time. Number three, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Being wise means to understand the will of God in every time, in every place, in every circumstance. What is the will of God? What God wants me to do now in this place, in this situation? And finally, to be wise, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. That's why he said, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Usually when we read the word but, but connect two sentences are against each other. For example, St. Paul in, in, pre, in chapter 4, he said, 
let the thief not steal anymore, but work that he may have something to give. So you can see these two sentences are connected with each other. He said, don't lie, but say the truth. Here actually, what is the connection? He said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Where is the connection between these two sentences? Here is a connection. In order to be drunk, you need to drink until your body is saturated with alcohol, then you will be drunk. And the fruit is dissipation. Your words will be full of dissipation. As Christian, instead to be saturated with wine, you will be saturated and filled by the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be saturated with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with wine, your word, your behavior will be in dissipation. But when you are filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, a drunk person loses control over himself to alcohol, and his words and behavior is full of dissipation. A person who is filled or drunk by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, loses also control of himself to the Holy Spirit. Then his words will be song, hymns, spiritual songs. From within, he will be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's a beautiful here comparison. And instead of drinking wine, in which there is dissipation, no, be filled with the Spirit. So you will lose control over your words. The Holy Spirit will speak on your mouth, psalm, hymns, spiritual songs. Holy Spirit will be singing and making melody to the Lord inside your heart. St. Paul said, actually, in, in, in verse uh, 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God. In Arabic, unwise, they are foolish. So as if St. Paul is telling us to be, being filled with wine is foolishness. But being filled of the Spirit is wise. When you are filled with the Spirit, number one, is speaking in spiritual songs. Number two, you will give thanks always. And number three, you will submit to one another in the fear of God. That's why in verse 20 he said, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will give thanks to God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Trinity. We are giving thanks to God the Father in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Again, we are giving thanks to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit because I am filled with the Spirit. So when I'm filled with the Spirit, number one, I am singing melodies, 
in my heart, is speaking in some spiritual songs, giving thanks always. And I will, we will submit to one another in the fear of God. Because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. So I will let go, I will yield to you, and you will yield to me. We will submit to one another in the fear of God. I will put your interest before mine, and you will put my interest before yours. That's submitting to one another in the fear of God. Verse 21, St. Paul ended here how to speak, how to walk in love, how to walk in light, how to walk in wisdom. Then from 22, he gave us application. Couples, when they walk in light, in love, and in wisdom, how they would deal to each other. So he spoke first about the duties of the wives. He said, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The reason for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The word head, husband is head of the wife, sometimes people interpret as there is no equality here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, St. Paul said, The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. We believe that Christ and God are one. God, Christ and the Father are one. So when he said the head of Christ is God the Father, there is no inequality here. So when he says that the head of the woman is the husband, don't interpret it. There is inequality. Because if you're going to say it is unequal, they are unequal because the husband is the head, then actually by Christ in unequal with God the Father. The head here means this come from that. The son is begotten from the father. Then Adam was created by the son. Then Eve was taken from the side of Adam. That's why the head of Eve, of the woman, is Adam, is the man. Head of man is Christ. Head of Christ is the father, because the son is begotten from the Father. The submission here is the submission of love. Uh, like how uh, in your body, every organ submit to the brain. If your heart refuses to submit to the brain, you will have atrial fib, you will have irregularity in your heart, and the person may die. So, 
Submission here is a submission of love to the best interest of the family. This, com this commandment is given to the wives, not to the husbands. Meaning what? There is no verse in the Bible that says, Husbands, force your wife to submit to you. There is no verse saying this. Which means this submission by the will of the wife. Willingly and happily she submits to her husband in love. Wives submit to your own husband. As to the Lord, in everything, St. Paul said, in everything as to the Lord. Wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. So your submission is in the, to the Lord in the person of your husband. Your submission is to the Lord in the person of your husband. And the explanation for the husband is the head, like Christ is the head of the church and her savior. As Christ saved the church, the husband is responsible to save his, life, his wife. As, as we will read when we come to the duties of, uh, the, of, of the husband. So when the wife actually knows that her husband is her savior, I'm not speaking about eternal salvation, but he will save her from financial problems, from any issue that she may face in her life, he will support her. So she willingly, happily will submit to him. At the church, as we submit to Christ, because he's our savior. So this is submission of love, not of slavery. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. In everything. As that's the, the this, uh, commandment of the Bible. Maybe some wives will say, but this is a very difficult commandment for us. But let me tell you, what's required from the wives is much easier than what's required from the husbands. Let us see what's required from the husbands. Here, verse 25, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ died for the church. So, the commandment to the husband to love your wife and to be willing to die for her as Christ died for the church. So, which is easier and which is more difficult, if you are commanded to submit or if you commanded to die for the other. Husbands are required to be willing to die for their wives. Wives are required to submit to their husbands in everything. If you think about it, what's required from the husband, it is more than what's required from the wife, but why it is a love. When you love somebody, you are willing to die for him. Why Christ died for the church? Why Christ gave himself for the church? 
He gave actually two reasons. The first reason that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. To save her, to sanctify her, to redeem her from the bondage of the enemy, bondage of sin, bondage of Satan, to cleanse her with the washing of water, that's baptism. By the word, meaning what? Before we are baptized, we renounce Satan and we confess Christ. So, this washing of water, baptism, is based on your renouncing Satan and accepting Christ. So, husband, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Christ gave himself for the church, number one, to sanctify and cleanse the church. How? Through the baptism, by the word, which is the confession, the, the acceptance of Christ that we say in baptism. The second reason, that he might present to her to himself. Now the church will be his bride, and Christ is holy. He cannot be united with ungodly and holy. So he wants to, to present the church to himself holy. So he sanctified the church, cleansed her. That he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, befitting him, not having a spot or wrinkle. Old people, when people get old, you'll find their face full of spots and wrinkling. So without spot or wrinkle means youth. So there is a restoration of age here. The church will be like written in Isaiah chapter 4. He will restore your youth. will be like eagles. Having, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she be holy. She should be holy and without blemish. So to present her to himself a glorious church. Having no spot or wrinkle, means young, youth, holy without blemish. Because there is no union, there is no unity between holy and unholy. The same standard of love is required from the husbands. Same standard of love that Christ loved the church, the same standard is required from husbands. That's why, verse 28, he said, So husbands ought to love their own wives. They should love their own wives as their own bodies. Now you, you will be one. Do you neglect your own body? No. You take care of your body. You feed your body. If your body is sick, you will treat it. So, your wife now is part of you from your body. So you need to love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. If she is one with you, then when you love your wife, you are loving yourself. If you hate your wife, then you are hating yourself because she is one with you. That's what he's saying. 
So he who loves his wife loves himself. And St. Paul told us, no one, for no one ever hated his own flesh. No one actually hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. As you take care of your own flesh, you need to take care of your own wife. As you love your own body and you don't hate it, you nourish it and you cherish it, do the same to your wife as Christ did to the church. So, no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, mean to provide for her, for your own wife. That's your duty, your responsibility, provide for your own wife. Even as the Lord provides to the church, we are members of his body. As your wife is one with you, a member of your body, we are members of the body of Christ. That's why he's taking care of us, of us providing for our on need because we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones we become one with him so the, the same oneness between us and Christ happens between the wife and husband as we are members of his body and flesh and bones do you, do you remember when Adam got created Eve what he says he said this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's the same exact word that St. Paul said here about Christ and the church. Your wife is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. Then he spoke about the sacrament of marriage. In marriage, man and woman become one, just as Christ and the church are one. Marriage is a sacrament of love, oneness, harmony. It's a great mystery. Two become one. Two live in love with one another, in harmony, not in conflict with one another. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, you, for, you forsake your, your parents for both, the husband and the wife. Forsaking not, doesn't mean neglecting them. Doesn't mean this. But means now you are one with your wife. And you have healthy boundaries with your parents. You have... You need to build healthy boundaries around your family with your parents. Healthy boundaries means we open the doors for good things and we close the door for bad things. That's healthy boundaries. Leaving a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 this is a great mystery. Yes, sacrament, marriage is a sacrament. It's a mystery. Why mystery? 
Because how the two become one? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Poor are those who are married outside the church. They don't enjoy this mystery. They don't enjoy the oneness and the love and the harmony that the Holy Spirit brings into this marriage. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He is saying, this mystery is great because it is mystery of love, oneness, harmony. It's established by God himself. When God brought Eve to Adam, and in the New Covenant, New Testament, when God blessed the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And it's portrayed by Christ and the church. That's the example every couple should keep in their mind, the example of Christ and the church. It is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon the groom and the bridegroom and unites them. So it's a great mystery because it's a mystery of love, oneness, harmony, established by God, portrayed by Christ and the church, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The last verse, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Every husband should love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And submission is a sign, expression of respect. Does this mean that the husband should not respect his wife? Does this mean that the wife should not uh, love her husband? No. Both of you should love one another. Both of you should respect one another. But men in general needs respect more. Husband need respect. Wives needs and women needs love. That's why St. Paul emphasized it. Husband, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Yes, both should love one another. Both should respect one another. But what really, or what more important to husband is respect to men in general. And what's more important to wives is love and emotions. So you need to express your love toward your wife, and you need as a wife to express your respect to your husband. This actually concludes chapter 5 from the letter of St. Paul to Ephesians. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.